Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading in the Gospel of Matthew. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you have granted us a place in your vineyard that we might work and produce fruit. We pray this day, O Lord, that you would always keep us mindful of your word and open our ears and our hearts to receive what your Holy Spirit would teach us. I pray today, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Just yesterday, I finished listening to a book called Isaac's Storm. It's the story of Isaac Klein, a meteorologist in Galveston, Texas in 1900. Now, what I learned in this book is that in 1900, uh, one of the greatest hurricanes and the most deadly hurricanes in the history of our nation actually hit Galveston, Texas. And this is the account of Isaac Klein, as I said, who's the meteorologist who, who got the weather really wrong that day. It's about the early days of meteorology and how they were figuring things out at the time. Uh, And throughout the book, there's a number of stories uh, of people and what happened on that particular day, these people who were not ready for the hurricane. And one of the accounts is is really stood out to me in my mind. It's the account of this family where the father is working downtown and the mother is at home while the storm is, is coming in. And she's watching all of her neighbors leave. And she realizes she needs her husband to come home so they can get out of there. So she sends her son downtown to get him. And the son approaches the dad and says, Dad, Mom needs you to come home because the storm is about to destroy the house. So he says something to the son, and he sends the son home with the message. The son walks into the door, and he looks at his mom, and he says, Well, Dad said to stop being such a woman, and he'll be home for dinner soon. She didn't kill him. That's part of the story for what it's worth. Uh, She sends him, uh, finally then, uh, a couple hours later, sure enough, he comes home and he's mad. You know why? There's no dinner on the table. She says, dinner on the table. And they have like this huge argument about the whole thing. And he says, there's no dinner on the table. I'm going back to work. She says, you go back to work and we're going to die in the storm and you will regret it for the rest of your life. And that was enough for him to say, fine, I'm going downtown to pay my men. And he walks out back into the hurricane. This is a smart guy. So we have here, as I read this story, now just so you know, as the story goes, uh, there's not a lot of happy stories. If you're looking for a nice, uplifting read, don't read Isaac's Storm. However, this one ends well. Ultimately, they are reunited after they're kind of taken apart by the storm. The family actually does get back together, and so this is a, a happy ending. Uh, nonetheless, as I read this account, I thought, what a fool. Everything around him is telling him that there is impending doom. His son is telling him to come home. His wife is telling them that the house is going to be destroyed and they're going to die. And the storm is backing them up. And this guy says, well, look, the weatherman says that there's no real chance of bad weather today. So what authority do you have? He doesn't listen to him at all. And he walks back into one of the deadliest storms in the history of our nation. It strikes me that this man is very much like the religious leaders in our account that Jesus is encountering today. The way they act so foolishly when the message they're receiving, them, receiving is telling them to do the opposite. In the account today, Jesus is confronting some religious leaders who are upset with his teaching and they're wondering what authority does he have to say what he is saying. Now let's get a little background here. This account actually takes place during Holy Week. Jesus has ridden into town on a donkey amidst cries of Hosanna. 
The children have lined the street with palm branches singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At this point then, uh, Jesus goes into the temple and he starts turning over tables. And he starts accusing everybody of ruining his father's house, which is to be a house of prayer, and they've turned it into a den of thieves. Now the religious leaders are upset with Jesus at this point because after all, he's going for the offering plate and this makes them angry. And so they want to know, by what authority do you think you can say these things? By what authority can you uh, uh, receive the, the praises of these children? Now, if you were paying attention last week, you'll remember Jesus turned the question on them. He says, I'll answer you if you answer me this. John the Baptist, was his baptism from God or from man? The religious leaders, they they huddle up and they start to try and figure out the most politically expedient way to answer the question, and they say to Jesus, we don't know, thus demonstrating that they do not recognize the authority of God. To that end, then, Jesus tells them a parable today. And he tells them this parable to demonstrate the fact that these religious leaders do not recognize God's authority, and then he's going to tell them their fate because they will not recognize God's authority. The parable goes like this. Now, for what it's worth, it's a weird parable. This is a very bizarre parable, but it really makes the point that Jesus wants to make today quite well. The parable is about a man who owns a vineyard. And he has here in his uh, vineyard some workers. He goes out and he gathers these workers and he tells them to work the vineyard and then he leaves. This is rather normal practice in those days. You would have your vineyard, you'd lease it out to tenants, they would do the work, get the fruit, and you would pay them from uh, the fruit you would sell. And so this is pretty normal. But it comes time to get the fruit. And so the man decides to send his servants back into the vineyard to collect the fruit. Unfortunately, this is where the parable gets very, very dark. Because the tenants, of the, uh, the tenants of the vineyard see these servants and they start killing them. One after another. They beat them, they kill them, and they stone them. Which causes the master, of course, to just send more messengers, more servants to the vineyard to get the fruit. And I have to ask myself, which servant is signing up for that job? Like, ah, uh, no, why, does, why doesn't Tony go today? He'll be fine. Like, this is constantly what's going on. So then the master says, obviously, well, this isn't working. I guess I should send my son. So he sends his son, and as it turns out, this doesn't work out. He's thinking they'll see my son, and they'll respect him, but he couldn't have been more wrong. The son shows up, and the tenants say, look, here's the son. If we kill him, the inheritance will be ours. I don't know if you know much about how you get an inheritance. That's not the way to do it, okay? This is not how things actually work anywhere. And so they kill the son, and then it all backfires. The master shows up. Apparently this time he has some muscle with him. He casts them out of the vineyard and puts them to death. (laughs) What a happy parable. I mean, this is a weird parable. Like, what do you do with this? But the meaning today is not lost on any of Jesus' hearers. What Jesus is doing here today is he is giving a history lesson of the way God's people in Israel have related to his word throughout history. It's a history lesson of Israel. And what he's saying is, I mean, you read this parable, and it just strikes me as so odd. I thought, boy, these tenants are, are, are not real smart to think they'll kill the son and get the inheritance. But even more shocking to me is the attitude of the master who continues time and time again to send servants even though he's getting nothing back. He's very persistent. And this is what you want to recognize here today, that this is not a, 
you know, good advice on how to run a business when there's murderers running the show, but rather what it's telling us today uh, is how God relates to his people, how he is relentless in sending his word. And throughout the entire Old Testament, time and again, God is sending prophets to proclaim his word, to call the leadership into repentance and to turn the nation back to him. And time and again, how do they treat the, the prophets? They kill them. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, on and on the list goes. The leadership in Israel never recognized the authority of the word of God. And so God says, we're going to do, do this then. I'll send my son. Surely, obviously, they're going to respect the son of the master. They're going to respect the son of God, right? And Jesus says, no. In fact, what's going to happen is that you will turn on me as well. Jesus says, I come into this world to forgive you, to call you to repentance, to bestow upon you a kingdom, and you will turn against me. You will bring me into Jerusalem where you will crucify me and kill me. You will reject me. And then this vineyard will be taken away from you, and you will lose the inheritance, and it will be given to people who will actually produce fruit. Now, this whole message obviously infuriates the religious leaders. Perceiving that Jesus is talking about them, they begin to plot how they are going to arrest him. And here's where I think they're a lot like the foolish husband there in Galveston. Everything going on around that guy is saying, stay home or go with your family and get someplace safe. And instead, he walks back into the storm. Here, the religious leaders, they walk back into the storm because everything around them, every messenger that's speaking to them, be it the prophets or John the Baptist or Jesus, everyone is calling them to repent and turn back to God. And Jesus says to them, but you won't. Instead, what you're going to do is you're going to crucify me, you're going to kill me, and you're going to lose the vineyard. And they say, you know what we should do to keep the vineyard? We should crucify him and kill him. Think about that for a second. They're not paying attention. They're being completely foolish. And I think that's the point of Jesus' parable. That to reject the Son of God, to reject the Son of the Master, is the most foolish thing you can possibly do. That if you think you're going to gain the kingdom of God by killing the Son, you are entirely misguided. You are running back into a hurricane. And yet everything goes exactly as Jesus says it would. And the kingdom is ultimately taken from these religious leaders and it is given to those who will produce fruit. And that's where we find ourselves today. The kingdom of God coming to you. You, who Jesus is calling to produce fruit. Jesus bringing you here today to receive his kingdom and to receive his word. Even this morning, the same Jesus who came to those leaders is coming to you by means of his word, and yes, even to you, he is calling you once again to repent, to turn from your sinful ways, and to receive this message, that he has come to die for you. Yeah, those religious leaders killed him, but he was the one who willingly died on the cross in your place for the forgiveness of your sins, and yes, rose again from the grave to bestow upon you the kingdom. Now, this is where, though, I think this is good news for us today, to know that Jesus has granted us the kingdom as a result of all of this. And yet, we also need to read this parable as a warning. 
Because I want you to notice today, who is it in the parable who rejects the Son? It's not the outside world. It's not those pagans over there who are rejecting God's Word and all of this sort of thing. It's the people within the vineyard. It's those God had chosen. It's those God had deemed to save. It was His chosen people who had received His Word and then rejected it. They began to build their lives on false foundations. And when Jesus came and exposed that, they clinged to the dying foundation, the crumbling house, and they did not turn to him. Here's the thing, you guys. Jesus has given you his kingdom. He is the chief cornerstone, as he says today, upon which your faith is built, upon which the church is built, upon which his kingdom is built. And God daily and richly sends you his word to give you, to call you to repentance and to give you the forgiveness of your sins. He gathers you here today to feed you with the bread and the wine, the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, uh, to sustain you into life everlasting. It is upon this foundation that we as Christians are called to build our lives. And when we do this, God works through us to, build, uh, to produce fruit to bring light into this dark place, to bring joy into this world of sorrow. Unfortunately, I think, we have to recognize that though God has done all of this for us by his grace alone, we have these hearts that tend to wander. And we seem to always have this desire to build on some other foundation besides Christ. And not just on sinful things. We talk about this a lot. We tend to build our lives even on good things, but we make them ultimate things. Instead of building on Christ, we tend to build on things like other foundations like like politics or work or entertainment or family. Again, all good things, but not things that can sustain us into life everlasting. I mean, you look at this right now in our culture. Everybody seems to be finding their identity in and building their lives upon uh, politics and which party they're a part of. And do you look at the world and see this and say, you know, and it's really producing a lot of good fruit? No. What is it producing? Vitriol, bitterness, pride, and judgment. This is sort of the air we're breathing right now. So if that's where you find yourself, Christ comes and calls you again today to stop that. to begin to produce fruit for the sake of the kingdom, to once again repent of that false foundation and turn to Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, so that he can once again come to you today and give you this message upon which you can build your life, the message in which Jesus says the stone that the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone. I am the one who has come to save you. I am the one who has come to forgive you. And I am the one who promises you, even now, everlasting life. Build upon this foundation, says Jesus, and produce fruit for the sake of the kingdom. See, this is what is happening to you today. This word is being granted to you. The Lord Jesus calls us to be workers in his vineyard, to repent. So don't run back into the storm. For Jesus is here, and even now, is giving you his kingdom. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for building on false foundations. Forgive us for finding our identity in anything that is not you. And Lord, when we are confronted by your word, we pray that you would teach us to repent and believe the good news that you have, in fact, O Lord, forgiven our sins and promised us everlasting life. 
Help us now, Lord, to build upon this firm foundation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.